I'll never forget that moment. Marty and I were sitting in our bed. It was 9.46 p.m. on Tuesday, December 17th, 2013. You remember, right? She doesn't remember. Remember, remember that she doesn't remember. I was playing on my iPhone. Not this one. I've broken a few. When I got a message on Facebook from someone I was friends with, but whom I had never talked to or met before. And the message read, any interest in considering a church in Iowa? Now, I remember. Marty doesn't remember. I don't know why. Now no, Now she remembers. <laughs> and the message was from one Bill Spangler Dunning. Perhaps you've heard of him, maybe. I replied, sure. We're open to anywhere. And that's how it began. Soon, Andy Pratt would email us a week or two later on behalf of the Norwalk Christian Church Search Committee. We would come to visit secretly the search committee in February in the midst of a blizzard. And then at the end of March, we would come and meet you and sign papers and finalize our life together. Now, when we talk about the relationship of pastor to church, church to pastor, we use the word call. You called us to be your minister. Some churches call the search committee the call committee. We are called to be pastors of Norwalk Christian Church. And it's common for ministers to talk about their call to ministry, about being called to a church. Now, there's a lot of professions out there. I can't think of any, though, off the top of my head other than ministry that uses that sort of language. Call. Calling. And think of this Call, it's really another way of saying hired, to hire someone, to call a minister. But we use the word call because we kind of believe there's something else going on. That it's not just a human resources decision, but as people of faith, we believe that somehow God is behind our relationship together. God called me to be a minister. I can't imagine doing anything else with my life. Ministry is my calling. And I know without a doubt my calling is to be your minister. It's a little weird when you think about it, though, to make such a claim that God is behind this. Now, we do and say a whole lot of weird things in church, don't we? It's hard to, 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 to notice when you're around church so much. But to have the audacity to say that Christ joins us at the table to say that we are the body and the blood of Christ in the world, to pray and expect that God not only hears, but may answer our prayers. There's a lot of things we do in our ministry together that's strange. And so I guess this language of call fits into our culture in here. But what about out there, outside of this building, outside of this thing we call church? What about for the rest of you, the rest of you who aren't the two people called to be ministers here? Are you called? And if so, what and how? Maybe a Facebook message one night in December. Maybe it was some other way. Now, two things prompted my reflection on calling this week as it's been mentioned already. One was that today is Labor Sunday, as the church has come to call it. Tomorrow's Labor Day. And Labor Day is a good time to think about calling because even though we may not use the language of call when we talk about labor and work in the world, I know many of you, by talking to you, feel called to do what you do. Maybe it's your career that you've been called to. Maybe your career is just a job, a way to make some money so that you can do what your true calling is, which may be something else entirely. It's your labor of love. We use that term sometimes, but it's a calling. 
And I was thinking about calling this week also as I read our text for this Sunday. Exodus 3 has been called Moses' call to ministry. And though we sometimes experience our own callings in different ways, I imagine none of us have actually heard an audible call from a bush, a burning bush, a bush that is burning, that is not consumed. There Moses is doing what he thinks he's supposed to do with his life. He's a shepherd. Moses is a shepherd, but he hasn't always been a shepherd. He once had a lot of promise. We heard the story last week of him being drawn out of the water of the Nile River by the daughter of Pharaoh. And Moses was to be raised in Pharaoh's own palace. And yet the promise disappeared one day as he's walking around and he sees one of the Hebrew slaves being treated unfairly, being beaten by one of the Egyptian taskmasters. And Moses all of a sudden feels this burning rage within him and he acts out and he kills the Egyptian who's beating the Hebrew. He's forced to flee Egypt. He becomes a fugitive, but eventually ends up in a suburb called Midian. Far from the troubles of the Hebrews, he meets a woman named Zippor. He falls in love. Her father, his father-in-law, employs him as a shepherd. And life is good in the suburbs. They have a child. They build a life. And on this morning, the morning of Exodus 3, he's going to work like he does every morning. It's the same commute up the hill and down again. He's come to enjoy the quiet of the hillside while tending the sheep. It's peaceful, unlike the hubbub of Egypt when he was young. And one day in the quiet, I don't know what was different, but on this day, he begins to hear something. We're told this happens on Horeb, and our text calls it the mountain of the Lord, but there was no sign that gave it that name. It was not called the mountain of the Lord at this point. It was just a mountain, a place where sheep grazed and then they pooped. That was the mountain. There was nothing holy about this ground. It could have been any ground. It wasn't holy until Moses notices something out of his periphery. This bush, it's burning, but it's not consumed, the text tells us. It burns and burns, but never burns up. And scripture says that Moses says to himself, he's all alone, so he might as well talk to himself. I must turn aside, Moses says, and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. Now, some rabbis have said that this was not the first time a burning bush had appeared on the mountain. It was just the first time that, that Moses took his eyes off his cell phone, where he put down the book, where he stepped away from the suburban escape from the troubles of the world, and actually noticed it. How many times had he passed it by? And what if he had not noticed? What would have happened then if he had just continued on with his life, never seeing this sight, every day passing by and missing it? Would God have waited for someone else to pass by? Would God have found another way to get Moses' attention? Maybe one of those wacky inflatable handmans that the, that the used car lots love. A bullhorn, perhaps. A, an earthquake. A, what would it have taken? How easy is it to miss a burning bush? 
One writer says burning bushes are all over our world today, but how easy it is to miss them. To keep walking with our noses stuck in our own distractions, to miss the holy in the midst of our to-do list. Maybe we've even seen one of these sites before, but we've talked ourselves out of it. Because, well, these kinds of things, they don't happen today. God doesn't call to us from places like that. Maybe this message is meant for someone else, and who am I anyway? Now, finally, Moses sees it, and he turns aside, and God begins to speak of his people, the people, Moses' people, the ones whom Moses had fled to the suburbs to forget, and Moses' heart begins to burn, and he knew he had to do something. Some suggest that the burning bush is really nothing more than that burning passion within Moses that he had tried to put out, but that could not be put out, that he had tried to forget his passion for his own people. But once he notices, Moses again goes back to Midian thinking. He begins to list all the excuses. Well, God, I I don't even know your name. They're not going to believe me. Who am I? Nobody is going to listen to a shepherd from Midian. And Moses is right. He is a nobody. He doesn't have the authority, the charisma, the experience to stand up to tyrants, much less deliver a people. Were he to step back in Egypt, they might arrest him on the spot. All he had was this one moment in his past when his passion rose up in him and caused him to act. But that ended horribly. An Egyptian was dead and he had to flee. There's no way Moses is the right person for this job. But isn't that true of all of us? We've been called, called by God. I believe it with my whole heart. Every one of us called into a new life, a life of mission, each in our own different way. But who are we? Who is this church? We are nothing. We cannot speak with authority. Who would listen to us? How can we bring about deliverance and wholeness when we have yet to experience that wholeness in our own lives? I'm sure we could go on and on with lists and lists of excuses, but God interrupts us, just like he interrupted Moses. I will be with you, God says. I will be with you. And that's all we need. That's all God needs is someone willing to step out, to answer the call in spite of all the excuses. You want to be called by God? Chances are you probably already have. How do you know? Well, often it comes with that kind of burning passion, those moments when you have an idea, a passion, something that you just feel you have to do. When your everyday life is put on pause and something causes you to turn aside, to see this great sight with your own eyes, that moment of clarity. And that's all God needs. People who have the courage to say, I must turn aside and see this great sight and see why this bush is burning, but not burned up. And yeah, there are plenty excuses, but none of them stand up to the promise of God that I will be with you. And who is this God? Well, it's the God of our ancestors, the God of of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, the one who used Moses and Joshua and Deborah and Mary and Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. And the list goes on and on story after story of people who answered the call and God did not leave them and God will not forsake us. Moses asked God, what is your name? In human history up to this point, it's never really come up. God says, I am who I am. 
Or in Hebrew, the name that God gives is more literally, I am what I will be, or I am what I will do. Which I, I take to mean that you will know who God is based on what God does. God's name is God's track record. All of God's actions before us show us who God is. The God who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. God is with us. And our God is yet to let us down. The one who calls us, calls us to join with God in the world and to let my people go. So how many sights like this have you walked by? How many moments of calling have you missed? Have you turned aside to see, to hear? Can you feel God burning in your heart? What is your call? Perhaps we should all take our shoes off this morning. For the place we are standing may be holy ground. Perhaps we should leave this place barefooted. For the world around us may be God's holy ground. Amen? Amen. We're going to sing a song as we prepare for communion. An old spiritual song, Go Down Moses. Andy Pratt's going to help lead us. It is number 663. We'll sing verses 1, 2, 3, and 5. And the parts that say unison, Andy is our unison. We sing the lines, let my people go, and the chorus together. Let us join in this song. Let us hear the call of God. Thank you. 